I am definitely never going camping with my wife's family ever again. I'll tell you why on this installment of the Armchair Quarterback. Doug Tarnovich, joined by my usual partner, Joe Ellis. Special guest today, Nathan Wilder. Uh, he's our Iowa correspondent. So he's joining us here today. And All right, so before I get to the opening topic here, um, last year I go to my wife's little camping vacation with her family, and by family I mean extended family. And they all go camping out in some state park out in Indiana. And it was my first year last year, and it happened to be the same weekend that the Ohio State-Purdue game fell on. And so I have horrible recollections of that place, of that trip, with those people. And that horrifying loss, that debacle. And so (laughs) this past weekend, for the Wisconsin game... Guess what I'm doing? And all week long, I'm kind of dreading this trip. I was in a bad mood. I just had a horrible feeling like I was going to see a sequel to the horror movie that I witnessed last year. And ta-da! I wasn't let down. And call it uh, self-fulfilled prophecy. I'll just call it bad luck. I'm superstitious. And I'm never going again. Uh, Are you claiming responsibility personally for the loss then? Can we confirm that? I'm trying to correct it. I, 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 no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take responsibility. I have responsibility. I would like to pawn it off on on other people, on other things. And I'm, I was hoping, kind of maybe we could talk about that here today. To look at the Ohio State Wisconsin game. Ohio State going up to Madison in front of a national audience, seven o'clock at night in what? Camp Randall. And you told I you sent me a message before the game of all the things you were worried about, and you had a nice extensive list. Oh, I knew you were going to bring this up. I sent you one back, and I the only thing I said was one prediction: Ohio State won't have any trouble. I was going against the grain a little bit, but I you said plus eleven. Yeah, I I saw two different teams. I thought from that. Um, Michigan State game to this Ohio State game for Wisconsin. Wisconsin is just one of those weird teams that for Ohio State, it doesn't matter what year it is. It doesn't matter what the record is. It doesn't matter what the paper says, the stats. You can just chuck it all out the window because Wisconsin always plays Ohio State super tough, especially in their own stadium. And I think that was something that a lot of people just kind of neglected this year. I mean, I was listening to 97.1, listening to Bruce Hooley saying, Oh, wake me when it's January. Oh, Wisconsin, they're nothing. Uh, we're going to run up the score on them. And don't worry, sleep well this weekend. Well, is that Bruce Hooley or Marge's sisters from The Simpsons? <laughs> uh, it's Mel Kuyper Jr. wannabe with his helmet here, uh, is who he is. Um, but... You know, and and that was just kind of something that worried me was that people were overlooking this. Um, Wisconsin just always plays tough, and so I mean, when we could talk about what in the, during the game that you guys saw, what I saw, I have some uh, a different spin on this game than I think everybody else is kind of having. Uh, is there anything that you saw that night that you were really surprised about? Well, I, I think you had, of course, like everybody was surprised by the front seven, by especially the defensive line, and how they got pushed around, and that's nothing insightful to say. It was, 
incredible to watch, you know, even two, three yards down the field that they'd be right after the snap. I, I, what I'm wondering is, is what are people's opinions? Is what, 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 what did we overestimate? Was it coaching or was it talent for Ohio State? People are automatically saying right now that Wisconsin's a better team. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if Wisconsin is a better team. Maybe they are. I think Ohio State got exposed as being a bit fraudulent. I, you know, people said for all week, they're not worthy of number one. And unfortunately, Ohio State did nothing to prove them wrong. Um, for me, and we can discuss what, what it was about this game, why Ohio State lost. If you had to blame it on one aspect of this game for Ohio State, why they lost that football game, you, know, you, have, you have a few options. You have special teams, which for the, uh, the second straight, uh, not second straight, but for the second time this year, have allowed an opening kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, you have the, uh, the field goal, missed field goal from like 40-something yards away. Very makeable field goal. You have the defense, like you mentioned. You have the offense, not very spectacular. And then you have coaching. And so if you had to choose from any one of those elements, what would you pin, What would you guys pin it on? To me, there uh, nothing stood out more to me than Ohio State getting run over. And I, I guess to me that, that seems like you can have bad luck in areas, maybe in kickoff coverage, things like that, or you can have up and down weeks, but... To me, run defense isn't luck. Run defense is something you control. Run defense is something that they are supposed to be good at. And uh, nothing stood out more. Not, and, I mean, that's, that's kind of it to me. And the other thing would be, uh, I guess, some of the play calling. Um, I know when, when Ohio State was down 21-3, to and they drove. I think they had just gotten into the red zone. They got. They must have had a big play, but it was. It was first an interception down. return by Andrew Sweat. Yeah, and it's the only the, interception that the Ohio State that they got, the only turnover that they got all game. The first, the first play call for offense was just a total failure. Don't even, I think it was probably just a run that failed or something. I think it was an end around to wide receiver Dane Sandoval. Yeah, and the first, and and I said right there. Great, only six more field goals to go, and we'll catch up. And everybody laughs at that because that's the big thing with Trestle, and that's something that reared its head some this past weekend. What about the what about the possession before that when was when Ohio State finally got their offense going, first and goal from the Wisconsin three? What did you think about that sequence, Nathan? You've been silent so far. You know, what are we bring you in for? I have. I'm not going to say anything about that sequence because, frankly, I didn't see it. Um, I'll be happy to chime in on some of the other things that I thought. Right. Very well. Um, and for me personally, I, I blame coaching. I blame coaching first and foremost on this game. Uh, we can talk about the defense. Defense did not perform well. And I get that. I'm not going to make excuses for them. I'm also not going to take any away from like Brett Bielema or the Badgers. I thought they, they had a perfect, a near perfect game. That was beautifully coached by Brett Bielema, and they executed it. That run, that running attack that they had, it, it was just like they, we all knew what Wisconsin was going to do. It wasn't an element of surprise. I mean, Scott Tolzien could have gotten under center and shouted out to Ohio State, hey guys, we're going to run. Oh, yeah. I'm going to hand it off to 32 here, and he's coming right towards here. Stop us. 
and they couldn't do it. Well, and at, I mean, at the end of the game, you got to give the, their coaches credit too for taking Absolutely. care of things and sewing things up at the end. So uh, you know, on the front end and the back end, they had Ohio State eaten out of their hand. They had them where they wanted. I mean, Ohio State at that time was they were now biting on play action every time they faked the handoff. I saw the linebackers you know jump up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, the same thing with some of the end arounds. The, the end arounds with like Gilreath and uh, Nick Toon. The uh, the bubble screens, you know, they set the bubble screen to Nick Tune on the uh, just you know it snapped me through it right to the sideline, and because they took advantage of the soft coverage from the cornerbacks, well, at that point they were able to fake the screen. Like Tolzina, at one point, just he gave a little shorter move in the fourth quarter, and they bit, and he went in another direction. So I I thought it was just really well done by Brett Bielema, but again. If I had to, if I had to take one element of this game that really did it in for me, I thought it was a it was an a, atrocious coaching effort by Jim Tressel. Yeah, the, it's time for the uh, people to start calling in in Columbus and uh, start calling for this for the for the serious fans. It's that time of year uh, for their big loss. For that, it's thrown the Big Ten uh, into just a free for all at this point. Mm. Iowa still undefeated in the conference. Nathan, you're wearing the uh, gold shirt today. Do you have some thoughts on uh, the Iowa game this week? I do. Not I do, too but, difficult. But before we get to that, I, I want to put my thoughts forward on what I thought was a big problem, I guess, for Ohio State in, yeah. the, in the game this weekend. Uh, credit first where credit's due. I thought J.J. Watt was an animal. Um, some of the of offensive linemen just looked like turnstiles. They were just kind of there. Just letting him through, letting him through. He was unblockable, tremendous effort. Single-handedly disrupted the offense enough to where uh, they were not able to execute. Of and course, Jim Trussell putting a tight end on an island with J.J. Watt kind of J.J. Watt was everywhere. He played. He lined up at nose tackle. He lined up um, on the end. He they moved him. Uh, so that's that's props to the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin, moving him around and and giving him different looks. And the guy just played with an incredible motor and, and disrupted the game plan. Secondly, I think uh, what Trestle has done, and this was painfully evident to, uh, to all OSU fans last year against Purdue, is he's created a game plan that's so centered on prior and operating within prior uh, and his specific skill set that when Pryor has a bad game, it makes it very difficult for them to be competitive. And I think that what they've got is they've got a team that is built to run the ball with a power run game, but he's going away from that and trying to make Pryor into more of a complete quarterback. I don't think Pryor ever will be because Pryor lacks the one thing that I think would set him apart as an elite quarterback, and that's decision-making ability. When Pryor notices that the first guy's not there, his first instinct is panic. And I think he, he you see him running around and looking for something to open up downfield. And sometimes it does, but sometimes what comes out of, out of that is really ugly. You, know, you see ill-advised throws across his body, and he was completing some of those against Wisconsin, but quite frankly, he's not going to continue to get away with that um, when you're playing against good defenses. Now, you bring up an interesting <clears throat> point in that you said that they're – Ohio State is built to run out of the power eye. Now that that's interesting to me because last year they 
like this year, they experimented so much with different kinds of formations, running out of the power eye, running out of the pistol and the shotgun and the zone read. And really, when Ohio State came to that really tough stretch uh, of their season after the Purdue game, they, find, they, they finally found their identity. And what they were doing was they were very successful, not out of the power eye, but out of the zone read. And that's when the running game really started to take off. Now, this year, it's almost we hit the reset button. This team has yet to find an offensive identity. We've seen all kinds of things. But again, like last year, we've seen the you know, we're running the power eye again. Why are we running the power eye? I understand. I like Zach Bourne. He's a good player. I like to see the fullback charge through and, and take it to the linebacker. All right, but that is not what made you successful last year. And it's the same offensive personnel, basically. Well, I'll I'll agree with you on that. Um, they need an identity. I think that. Ohio State should be able to run out of a power eye, but I don't think that they are. I think what we have is you have, uh, like you said, a lot of experimentation because personnel packages, there's so much talent on Ohio State's team. Trestle wants to get everybody involved in the offense. Well, I think that kind of works against them sometimes when they need to be very skilled or very good at being able to control one aspect of their offense, and they can't. It's it's kind of a, a loose three-ring circus with Pryor, you know, directing everything. And when when something's not clicking, it makes it very difficult. You don't, where's your bread and butter? You don't have the thing you can rely on as, we can count on this for three yards at least. Or we can count on this for five yards at least. I think they found it in that game. I think they really did. I mean, uh, and, and, we, and we've been talking about it, that, that, yes, this team needs an identity. And uh, to me, I think... They started to find it. And here's my, I'll, I'll just go off on a little short list. I'll, go, I'll try and hit it quickly. The problems I had with this game and particularly with the coaching, all right? And we already talked about it. Uh, there is no identity on this team, and it's now week seven. We're still no closer to establishing that. Uh, number two, they neglected the run for 25% of the game. Nathan, uh, I'll ask you this because I already told Joe the answer. Would you like to guess the score of the game when Jim Trestle called his first handoff? I have no idea. 21 to 0. 21 to 0. And that was in the second quarter. So they called yeah. three passes after the run back? It, or did they? Ha I don't know if they got a first. They tried to do a little fast. option pitch. Oh, they tried uh -huh. to do an option pitch, which they, ha which okay. they haven't run all so year. Maybe, yeah, maybe an option. Thing. So they tried to do that, and then it was pass. Pa I think it was uh, all three passes on the next on the next series. Yeah. And you cannot do that. I understand that Boone Heron is not flashy. He's not what you've been spoiled with by Ohio State standards. But I'll tell you what, the guy's the most consistent member of that offense. He scores a touchdown every single game, seven games now. He scored nine touchdowns. He's averaging 4.6 yards a carry. Again, not phenomenal, but if I told you you can get 4.6 yards in every carry, I think you'd take it. All right, so there's that. Um, and he has a sweet nickname to chant when you're at the game. Right. Uh, of course, Bruce Hooley doesn't want to call him boom until he has a 100-yard game. Uh, another thing I, I had a problem with, I didn't see any adjustments on defense. I thought uh, basically Ohio State just continued to do what it, what it wants to do. They played really soft on the wide receivers on the outside, and they continued to rush forth throughout the entire game. Uh, 
I would have liked to have seen that change. Nobody's talked about this yet, but Brandon Sane, who was moved to wide receiver from being a tailback, he was moved to wide receiver for Indiana, and that just really made that offense all that more dynamic. And he's a great receiver. Didn't play hardly at all against Wisconsin. Instead, he was replaced by Corey Brown, a true freshman, and Torian Washington, who has a well-documented history of the dropsies. Okay. Play calling, we've already discussed that. To me, that's just the, that, that's just the surface. That's a scratching the surface on that. And I mentioned it before with you, Nathan. J.J. You know, Watt, good player. He had a good game. I, and I don't really want to take that away from him. But I, I saw at least two cases where J.J. Watt was only being covered by a tight end. And that is just a mismatch that should not happen. He needs, he needs to be taken out on by at least a, a right tackle, left tackle, and maybe a tight end. Well, I mean, you're going to run into that situation when you run out of a no-back set or you run out of a one-back set where you're swinging the back out for a swing pass. Um, there's a lot of ways to get around that, but quite frankly, your players have to execute. If, if you're asking somebody, your tight end, to block somebody, he's got to be able to block him. And if not, then you need you need to audible out of that if you know you don't have your right personnel in, in position before the play. Um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't see that as, as being necessarily an excuse or a way out. Good player, Players are going to have good games. Players are going to play outside of themselves. Definitely Wisconsin was, was jacked up to play the number one team. They played the best football they've played all year. So Ohio State truly got Wisconsin's best shot. And... It worked for Wisconsin. See, you mentioned the offensive line for Ohio State. I actually thought, and call me crazy, and some people just might. That's okay, I'm used to it. That the offensive line for Ohio State was actually one of the better units that game. Pryor had some good time to throw the football that night. He got good pass protection. The problem I really thought would happen with their passing game, and they clearly wanted to come out of the gate passing, uh, was that... The receivers were being covered. Okay, Devere Posey, he's got a lot of potential, a lot of talent. He's a liability. He was doing his best impersonation of Braylon Edwards that, that night. I mean, I understand that the football wasn't thrown particularly well by Pryor, but you still got to catch those footballs. Jake Stoneburner is another one. Everyone's drinking a Jake Stoneburner Kool-Aid. Oh, we finally have a pass-catching tight end. They can go over the middle. I'm not buying it. I haven't seen him really produce at a level that earns that kind of praise. Um, and Dane Sanzenbacher, a lot of people are crazy about him. I like Dane Sanzenbacher. He's a nice player, tough kid, and he made a spectacular grab that night. But he's not a number one guy. He's not going to be able to go uh, and be that, that go-to person, play in and play out. So, And that's why I was so upset about the Brandon Sane thing. By having him in there... He, you know, he, this is a guy who is 219 pounds, runs a 4.25. He stretches the field. Uh, he has amazing hands. He's gotten, he's gotten several touchdown catches on the year, and you know, and he's all of a sudden removed. Brandon Sane is a guy that uh, typically Ohio State has put like in the slot a little bit and try and get a mismatch against the linebacker. So now defenses have to account for him. They have to go in the nickel packages. And that, in turn, is going to soften things up for your running game 
And it's also going to help guys like Devere Posey and Dane Sansenbacher get open a little bit more. And I think that really had an impact on that passing game. Because, like I said, Pryor had all day to throw, but none of those receivers were getting open. I think that was a big reason why. It's funny, with the last uh, two weeks and the upsets we've seen, how it changes the conversation. Whereas two weeks ago, or even a week ago, after Alabama loss, it's, Oh, it's going to be a mess when we have, you know, it should that should Ohio State be ranked number one? What's the schedule going to come into play? BCS. Now it's Ohio State and Alabama have lost. Are we even going to have enough BCS teams to get in here, or is it going to be a force to see Boise State or TCU in this title game? Because when you look at all these teams that are left, you would expect almost all of them to lose a game. Oregon, except maybe Oregon. I don't find Oregon. I don't think Oregon's going to lose. I know Colin Coward thinks Oregon's going to lose to USC. USC ain't beating Oregon. But everybody else. Boise is definitely going to run the table. But now the topic with Boise now is that their schedule is so is so weak from here on out. Plus the people that oh, they yeah, beat no hasn't really given them a lot of credibility either. Virginia Tech was supposed to be a big marquee matchup to really test Boise. By the way, in case anyone hasn't noticed, Virginia Tech is perennially overrated. Uh, and, of course, they lose to, what, James Madison? Yeah. And then, you know, you had uh, um, Oregon State. And who was it that Oregon State lost to this weekend? I can't remember who it was. But it was it, that was kind of a, a spoiler for Boise as well. It made them look bad. So it's like, okay, great, you, lost, you, you beat Oregon State. But they turned out not to be very good. And then you d- barely defeated Virginia Tech, who ends up losing to James Madison. So it's like, sorry, if I'm supposed to be impressed, I'll take TCU over them. I'll take Utah over them. But I'm, uh, Boise State, I think it, it's it's laughable to put them in the national title picture. Well, no, I don't think, and I don't think anybody does give them a lot of respect for their schedule this year. But I, you know, there's going to have to be a number two team. So I mean, is it going to be uh, a one loss Alabama? You know, or something like that, or is it going to be the spoiler, the uh, non-BCS conference school? Well, here's what we got. Let me let me just list like maybe the top ten teams. Um, number one, Oklahoma, which uh, that's another topic. Oregon, number two, Boise State, number three, four, Auburn, five, TCU, six, LSU, seven, Michigan State, eight, Alabama, nine, Utah, ten, Ohio State. First of all, you've got, and, and you've got Missouri and Oklahoma State also undefeated. No one, no one expects that to last. So. No, I don't either. That's uh, why they're still not part of the conversation. And Oklahoma, I don't Oklahoma could run the table. Uh, God, I would hate to see that because I don't think Oklahoma should be in there either. I don't think even Oklahoma fans believe that they should be in the national championship. Uh, right. I, I mean, if, if they win out when they're... Conference championship, championship. It's hard to argue sure, against but, that. But we just, yeah. It's hard to argue against that. that. Uh, so, I mean, right now, kind of just, honestly, as an Ohio State homer, I could really give a shit right now at this point. Sorry, I know this is a family program, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm so disappointed. My season is over, in essence, because I am one of these Ohio State fans. I have the standard that I expect to go at least be in the talk for a national championship year in and year out. And this year, this year was the perfect opportunity because not only was Ohio State, they were returning so much talent, they seemed to get things figured out last year. 
We're a running team. Pryor's looking better. All right, Jim Tressel actually restored a lot of my confidence in him. Of course, now it's gone. But I came in, and I'm thinking, I'm looking at the SEC. I'm looking at the landscape of college football. No Colt McCoy, no Sam Bradford, no Tim Tebow. The SEC looks down. The only dominant team I see was Alabama, and this was the perfect year for Ohio State to come in and beat the SEC on the national championship stage. Now the window is closed, and I'm upset about it. That's I'm ticked off. That's what why, do you want from me? That's why I hate this notion of, well, in college football, it's every week it's, it's the playoffs. One loss and you're out. Well, you know, no. Now the rest of the regular season is somewhat meaningless to most Ohio State fans, or at least it's going to take them two or three weeks to get, you know, a little excited about, oh, we're going to, you know, go to the Rose Bowl. I might change my tune. I did last year. I said the same thing last year after Purdue other seasons lost, but... Uh, and I kind of got excited as the year continued to progress. But personally, as a Buckeye fan, I'm tired of seeing this year after year where Jim Tressel fails to run the table. Uh, and I think he, I, I just, I, I thought this past week was a meltdown. I thought last year was a meltdown. It's a joke that it's now, we're now in the second half of the season. You still don't know what kind of team you are. I don't care what anybody says. This is not a passing team. A passing team, to me, does not pass for less than 200 yards against a, a, a division or a, a conference rival on the road. Okay? A, a passing team passes for touchdowns. Doesn't run for two touchdowns. BS is a passing team. Get over it, Bruce Hooley. You're an idiot. Nathan, uh, what are your uh, some other observations from you on the college football weekend that was? Well, I, I got to be honest, outside of the Big Ten, I really didn't pay that much attention. Um, you know, He's a big fan, people. I, I, He's going to have to say things like that. I'm, I'm unashamedly a Big Ten homer, so, um, you know, I, I pay attention to what I feel like is important there. Um, you know, I think for the second straight week, we got to watch uh, Michigan kind of show who they really are uh, against a, a team that can play defense. Uh, the week before, we watched them go down against Michigan State. I thought they had a good game plan, played contained very well against Denard Robinson. Of course, last this past weekend uh, against Iowa, Denard got some yards in the first half, but then um, you know he got his, his elbow nicked up or something like that on a play and. And what 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 was the score when he went out? I mean, they, it was really Forcier that sort of brought him back, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the the score I believe was twenty eight to seven when he went mm -hmm. out. Um, and so they went back to something that was that that Michigan does well, which is kind of the the short, quick passes. I mean, they've got all these speedy, shifty receivers. Um, some of them are 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 really big um, and hard to bring down in space and they like to create mismatches like that and uh, so they went right into that and I was uh, too deep soft zone is just perfect for them but I was defense is, is built to bend but not break and you know they they're gonna get their yards you're gonna get your yards if you're Northwestern if you're Indiana if you're Michigan and you've got these dink and dunk spread teams where you, you spread it out but Iowa survives by not giving up the big play. Michigan's offense is, is totally dependent upon being able to get the short drives where you go 80 yards in, in five plays and 
you know, there's a huge broken play where somebody makes a, makes a play in space and they can take it to the house. Well, Iowa limited that for, for, a large, uh, for a large part of the game, and I think that's why they were able to win. Uh, also, the offensive line for Iowa was playing very well. Um, they're young there they're, this year, They're right? very young. So it's kind of surprising. A lot of people thought that that unit would be down, losing three seniors or three, uh, three people. One, Brian Belaga going uh, to the draft a year early. How big are they? They're the smallest unit in the Big Ten, I think. Um, are they one of the smaller ones? Just checking. So, yeah. Smaller than Wisconsin. Much smaller than Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin is the biggest line. I think they average like 314 along the line. Or maybe that's the, the, the lightest player is 314. Wow. Um, they're, they're, they're a really big unit. Um, but Iowa's young unit is playing very, very well. They just played, I think they graded out the best they've done all year against Michigan. And that's what you like to see opening into the, big, the meat of the Big Ten schedule. How's Ricky Stancy doing on the turnovers? Pretty good. Um, I think he's 13 touchdowns, two interceptions. One of those interceptions was a tip to pass where the receiver took his eye off the ball and it went, it landed right in the defensive back's hand. So he's making, nut, right? yeah, he's making a lot of good decisions right now, um, and he's not he's not throwing into the double teams, the triple teams, like he would do in years past. So yeah, not offensive identity. Absolutely, they do. They're a very balanced approach. They run the same three formations they've run for the last 30 years, and they, they can execute it. I think Ohio State might do well to take a, take a note from Ferentz on that one. Uh, find, find some things you can do well and just stick with those. I like Iowa. I, I think Iowa might be my next favorite team outside of Ohio State. I just love Kirk Ferentz. You know, I, he's not a guy who's able to recruit as maybe as well some of the other large programs, but man, he coaches them up. I mean, he really cultivates talent really well and sends them off into the, at the, to the next level, and they're able to compete at that level. And so, uh, and, and they're a team like you said that they they know who they are, and they're not like the flashy kind of offenses, flashy teams that a lot of people tend to like in college football. Now, that for for me, in my opinion, Iowa is like for real football fans. And, you know, to me, if you need to have like these fancy formations and fancy trick plays, zone reads, and all the speed and the misdirection, the confusion. Oh, the cameraman can't follow the football. Uh, to me, you're almost like, you're not even a real college football fan because you, it's almost like it's eye candy. You know, I like the fundamentals, and Iowa just executes the fundamentals really well, and, and so I love them. Yeah, yeah, I agree with most of what you said. I will disagree with you on uh, the the idea that uh, Ferentz doesn't recruit well. I think if you look back, I didn't say he didn't recruit well. I say he doesn't have the same kind of pool. I will say that he doesn't have the same uh, the same um, pool that like like a Jim Trestle. Sure, sure. Obviously, recruiting within the state of Ohio is is an advantage when you compare that to recruiting the state of Iowa, a state of uh, four million people. So you're right on that regard. I think what gets lost in the wash, and a lot of people will just kind of repeat this, is that Ferentz doesn't really get good recruits. He just takes what he has and he turns them into these great players. And that happens. Oh, yeah. There are stories like that. But by and large, what Ferentz is doing is he's out recruiting people that uh, they're they're not on your 
your recruiting services reports. They're guys that are real football players. He goes after good character kids. Um, and the only the one year he, he kind of went away from that and tried to really just recruit some guys that were highly talented, it came back to bite him. Most mm-hmm. of those guys ended up uh, dropping the dropping the team or they got in legal trouble. And I mean, that was kind of the university had egg on its face. But for the most part, he, he recruits the kind of kid that fits into the Iowa system, which is not necessarily the majority of recruits out there. And I think if you look back historically over the results, I think the result, the proof is in the pudding. The results speak for themselves. Um, that his lowly rated, non-rated recruits are playing at a level uh, equal to or above people that are coming out of high school with far greater pedigrees in the recruiting world. And that's a whole new animal these days. But I think looking back, you can kind of make a case for Kirk Ferentz doing really well with his recruiting. Um, how about another Big Ten news? Happy Fire Tim Brewster Day. <laughs> Actually, that was yesterday. Sorry, I, we're, we're done with the Iowa Love Fest now. We can close the book on that for this yeah, podcast yeah. episode. Yeah, we could do that. Is that okay with you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Minnesota fi- uh, finally fires uh, Tim Brewster, used car salesman, probably filling out his application at McDonald's right now as we speak. Um, Nathan, you kind of seem to have a lot of insight uh, as to what kind of uh, coach Tim Brewster really was. He probably thinks McDonald's is all right, but he's going to really have to come in and rebuild, tear down what's there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, redo the whole entire system. Maybe you ought to bring in more managers, yeah. different managers every week. New menu. That's right. Uh, change that Big Mac around. We, don't, we can't have that. Oh, we'll bring it back. Oh, wait, no. So, yeah, uh, this is the guy who said uh, he had to come in to – to Minnesota, and he had to rebuild a program. And this is after Glenn Mason. Glenn Mason was a, you know, a pretty good coach, and had a pretty good program running there. And I mean, I won't, I won't say it was phenomenal, right? But it was still Minnesota was fairly relevant. They were going to bowl games. They could win bowl games. They were just competitive within the conference. And then Tim Bruce and Minnesota, I believe, didn't they kind of uh, they decided to part ways with Glenn Mason? And because he yeah. wasn't able to kind of go and be a, a, a program, lead a program into a national title hunt. It's the next level. The next level. Idea. And so they said. They got to the next level, all right. <laughs> they got to a different level. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, so they said goodbye to Glenn Mason. And then they bring in Tim Brewster, who wasn't even a coordinator before that job, uh, if, I heard, if I remember correctly. And so he uh, actually was on a local radio show coming in the Torg, and, and Scott Torgerson called him out on it. He said, uh, you know, you're, he basically said, no, so many words, hey, coach, what's it like to be irrelevant? And the guy came in, and, and Brewster responded by saying, uh, you know, that's a bad attitude. I had to come in and rebuild this program. So, I mean, that was just uh, absolutely laughable. The guy brought in a new coordinator every year, new offensive system. He went from the spread to a pro style. Now back to spread again. He rotated quarterbacks every single week. So um, the guy was a joke of a coach. I think uh, Brewster kind of exemplified the, uh, the old saying, cart before the horse. I mean, here's a guy. He wants to. He wants to make some change. He, I believe in my heart that he truly did want to take the team to new to greater heights um, and make them competitive for the league title every year. But you don't do that by changing the uniforms, getting a new stadium, um, 
you know, uh, doing all these things to... To, I mean, he was a big hype machine. And it Biggest was, locker room in the country. Right. I mean, let's let's go to things that are really important. You know, uh, I don't believe he had the cat, the 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 supporting cast that he needed to be able to make some uh, to elevate fundamentally uh, how they played the game of football. And so he was looking for the quick fix. Um, cart before horse, changed all these things. I mean, it just. I feel I kind of feel bad for Minnesota fans um, having to deal with that. Now here's an interesting story. I'm going to kind of tie this in, kind of getting back uh, to my feelings about Jim Tressel. Because personally, I feel like if you're an Ohio State fan, I think there's some undeniable problems in regards to your head football coach. Uh, and I, I pointed them out already. And he does this on a consistent basis. And, and some of these problems aren't new. Abandoning the run. He did that this past Saturday. He did it last year against Purdue. Um, people say, well, he's too conservative. Sometimes I think he isn't conservative enough. Um, I th- And we've seen him in the national championship game, two of them, he abandoned the running game. Failure to make adjustments on defense. All these things. It's not exactly something new that's popping up. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, I don't believe Jim Tressel is the guy anymore that is going to take Ohio State to that next level so that they can return to a national championship and actually win it. Personally, I believe he was able to do that with John Cooper recruits. Uh, and you know, so I think for me, I have a question for my for you know myself and maybe for anybody else who and you guys can chime in and you can probably tell me how ridiculous I am, but I personally think that I would like to see what else is out there. What else is out there that Ohio State could look at and bring a guy in to take us to the, to, who is able to run the table in the BCS system, in the Big Ten Conference, go to a national championship game, and win it? I don't think Trestle is that guy. So I asked the question, because here's where you get, get risky, and here's where Tim Brewster ties into it. Minnesota fell into the same problem. They wanted... They they were kind of in the same place. They wanted that new head coach, and they fired and they got rid of Glenn Mason and brought in Tim Brewster, thinking that he's going to be the guy. Well, he turns out to be ten times worse. So, would you rather have a coach who you know year in year out you're probably you're going to be talked about, you're relevant in the national media nationally. Uh, you're going to be ranked in the top ten every year. You're going to average. A, you're going to win more games than you lose. You're going to average a win-loss ratio of about. You're going to have. You're going to end up being eleven and two, maybe on an average every year. You're going to go to a good bowl game. Maybe you'll win it. Maybe you won't. So you'll be. You'll have all those pauses, but you'll know you'll never win a national title. Would you rather have that, or would you take your chances and say, "I want to see what else is out there to see if I can get a coach that can take me in." And get me a national championship. Well, you know, Brewster is looking for another job. Oh, the hell with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wouldn't look at it totally in a vacuum. I I just think Jim Tressel is probably still the right coach for Ohio State. I don't know if Ohio State is really... Um, They're not going to do better than that. I, I know, but even as, you know, as an observer, I don't, I don't think you're just going to go out and, and you know, with, oh, you know, despite Ohio State being one of the most storied 
uh, programs in the NCAA, despite having one, you know, as big of a budget as anybody else, you're not you're not going to just go find somebody who's the next level. I think he he's an A plus, you know, outside the lines. Jim Dressel? Yeah. Does an A plus coach not know how to find his offensive identity? No, no. That's something outside the lines. The peripheral jobs of the coach with the university. He's not an NFL coach. He's a college football coach. Mm-hmm. So he's he's everything they want in that area. In that area. And he keeps them relevant. He keeps them at the top of the Big Ten. He gives them a chance. There's, there's no promises with anybody else. That I think it's kind of a pipe dream of and it's entitlement for Ohio State fans to say, well, we deserve a national championship. Well, you, you can't just go take one. And you're not. I just don't think you're just going to do better. I ag- you know? I agree with you, and those are good points. But Ohio State fans, and I'm and I'm hearing this. I I hear on the radio. I hear from other Ohio State fans that the thing that makes Ohio State the program that it is is the high standards that fans expect. Is that we hold our coach, we hold our team to such a high standard, and that's what helps keep this program running like it does. It's not the main element, but and, and we're told by by a lot of the talking heads around town, never apologize for having high standards. Never do it. You know, Matt Brown talks about uh, at the end of, uh, I think, two seasons ago, in, in regards to the Cotton Bowl, I believe, where uh, Texas Tech got upset by Ole Miss. And Ole Miss ended up being like 8-5. They're eight and five football team, and they, and they upset Texas Tech, and they're dumping the Gatorade over Houston Nutt, their head coach. And Mac Brown kind of commented, uh, Mac Brown, you know, being the head coach for the Texas Longhorns, he said, he commented on how low the standards were. He said, "You're dumping Gatorade on your head coach for being eight and five. If I went eight and five in in Texas, I'm getting something dumped on me. It ain't Gatorade." And look at Texas. Texas is. Always going to be nationally in the top 25. Uh, they're going to be relevant. They're going to be uh, reverent. So, I mean, yeah. that's one of those things. And, and I kind of feel, okay, Ohio State fans, if you really believe that, if you really have these standards and you expect and you demand to go to a national championship and win, I don't think that you can have your cake and eat it too. Jim Trestle's not your guy. you got to decide which one you want. I strongly disagree with you. I, I, I mean, I think this illustrates the height of arrogance. If this is truly the opinion of of the Ohio State fan base, I mean, um, look at Love it. Bring it. <laughs> look at look at Miami a few years ago when Miami was doing very very well, uh. and they fired their head coach after an eleven win season, or no, I believe it was a ten win season. And where have they been since then? I mean, it just. Is, guy, it, is it impossible then to find a better head coach? For for Ohio State at this moment, it may be. It may Here's be. the thing. Here's the thing. The best coach, the best coach in all of college football, only gives you a puncher's chance at a national title. I think it's ridiculous to expect that from teams, from players, from coaches, that you're going to be in the BCS championship game fifty percent of the time. That's I think that's an unreasonable expectation yeah. in this college football landscape. There, as much as people don't like to admit it, there is more parity in college football than there used to be. And the days of um, one football team being undefeated for multiple years at a time 
I think we're beyond that era. We're in a different era of football. See, I would be okay with that, and I'm looking back to this game again, if the other team was just flat out better, and I knew that that team was flat out better. And when I was asking that question, is Wisconsin better than Ohio State? You were shaking your head over there. Yeah. And I don't think Wisconsin is the better team, but that's why they play the games. I mean, Wisconsin was the better team that night. Certainly they executed a lot better than Ohio State did. Who was the better coach on, on that game? I'm not going to answer who was the better coach in that game because I think that's apples and oranges. They're two different coaches, and they, co- they, they run their programs completely differently. Who knows their offensive identity? Who knows what they wanted? Who had a game plan? Well, they both had game plans. I don't know what Jim Trussell's game plan was. You, you uh, know, there was no, I saw no game plan. I think, that I, I think that's a fair point, but that is one small slice of what makes up a college head coach that, that Jim Trestle might not be the best you know, in-game coach in the league. It's enough, though. It's, it might be a small slice, but it's enough. If you don't have a game plan, if you don't know who you are, mm-hmm. and you need to take six, seven weeks, two years in a row, I'm sorry. i got to question you. I, I, I have no confidence in this guy. Well, here's... Here's the question I think you should be asking. Give it to me. All right. Is it time for Jim Trestle to hand over the offensive play calling to someone else? A lot of coaches in college football still do not call the plays. There's no reason Jim Trestle needs to be running around with the play sheet worried about what play they're going to run next, what what personnel packages they need to have on the field. Okay? If... And he has enough things to worry about that. I think that he could do, he could excel, and he could, they probably would have been better prepared and made better adjustments if he had an offensive coordinator who ran the offense. So you say he's burning the candle at both ends. He's a little bit too spread out. Well, I, I don't know personally how, how he does it. But you can imagine that I, this I scenario. Can, yeah, absolutely. I think he needs to be available. For input in critical situations, but I think other than that, let someone who's an expert at offense do offense. He's got so much other things that that really need his hands-on attention and focus on that, you know, I, I think it does hinder your ability to make adjustments in-game. Okay, that's a good point, and I don't think it will hurt, that's for sure. I think it could definitely improve if you get a guy in there who knows what he's doing and he knows how to fit the system around the talent that he has. Okay, then I, I'm all for it, but you got a major problem. Jim Trestle will not do it. He's been called out on that time and time again, and he absolutely refuses to give up the playbook. You'll have to kill him and pry it out of his cold, dead hands. He's right, he's right there, and you can't say you can't just make a wish and make it happen. That's part of having him. His cold, dead hands. He will never give it up. He said he will never give it up. He said, what else am I going to do? He said, what else am I going to do if I can't call plays? Are you serious? It's a joke. Sorry, I'm still upset. Well, you you gotta, you got to remember your relatively recent football history. Don't be like Miami. Don't fire Larry Coker in this situation. And that, yeah, and that's a good point. And I don't want to be like I don't want to, I don't want to have Minnesota. Down. I don't want to be in, I don't want Ohio State to end up like Minnesota. But you know what about like you you can say now what about John Cooper? I don't see how I don't see that much of a difference between the Cooper era and the Jim Trestle era. One difference and that's a national change well, so I'll I'll say two differences. 
you, you won a national title, you actually capitalized on that, and number two, you beat Michigan every single year. All right, I'll give you those two things. Other than that, I don't see much of it. Cooper was a was a, was a pretty good coach. He 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 accomplished a lot at Ohio State. He got top notch talent. But Ohio State, the fans had the standards, and they said we don't like him because he can't beat Michigan and because he can't go to the national championship. And so they fired him. And now you have Jim Trestle, who everybody likes even more. So it's possible, isn't it? Yeah, I think that number two beating Michigan. I mean, that it's such a huge factor. It's nothing I mean, to me now. It's not. It's like a given. You're going to beat Michigan, right? Exactly. Well, and, and see, you can't. Fans tend to assume we're you know it's we're always going to be this good, or maybe there's just something about you know our program, which Miami is the you know the best example because you know they were good for. A number of years there, starting with Jimmy Johnson, and there, there's just no guarantee. Like, oh, we're just going to have the recruits. We're just going to have a certain quality because of our tradition. It, you know, they could go. It's it's a long fall. It's not like you're just gonna. You know, if you make a mistake, you're going to become. You know, Michigan State. It's a long fall to the bottom. Well, what you 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 guys both bring up Miami, but didn't Miami have a hard fall because they got busted by the NCAA? For paying their players, and doesn't that what's attributed? It, the, the 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 hammer was so hard, it kind of brought down, helped bring down that program. Well, we're we're gonna get into something that uh, I think is a much bigger issue in the college football landscape, and I don't necessarily know that this is the venue or the time to start doing that. I I almost, I think the NCAA's sanctions are a little on the weak side of things in and enforcing. Um, really? Yeah, I think I think oh, I think with you. Oh, I see a future podcast coming out. <laughs> yeah, oh man, so we might need to. I think I need to decide on that. Cover one this again. Uh, I I I think that their sanctions on USC were a little bit that uh, it lacked some teeth. Um, the the two year no uh, no what, what was it? Uh, two year bull ban. Okay, they can't go to bowl season for two years. They and took then away thir- uh, was it thirty scholarships. Yeah, over, over over that period. Over a certain period of time. Right. I, you know, I, and I don't think that necessarily needs to always be like it was with SMU, which of course was the, you know, where they coined the phrase death penalty of the program. Um, I don't think it needs to be that severe, but if you're going to do a two-year ban, I don't, I just don't, uh, I just don't see that as having any serious ramifications uh, of discouraging this nationwide. So I don't want to. I, I think that's a big can of worms. I, I don't think we should. <laughs> no, necessarily. I know it's a big can of worms. <laughs> we'll save that. Uh, we will save that for maybe you know another podcast. We we have been talking for about fifty minutes here, so we definitely want to take some time look ahead uh, to the upcoming Big Ten schedule, the upcoming coming college football schedule. Um, two teams we spent a lot of time talking about today are Wisconsin and Iowa, and they are mm. mashing up at three thirty in Iowa. Uh, this Saturday. Man, that's going to be a good game. Uh, and a lot of people are saying that that's where the Big Ten title is going through. It's going through the road to Iowa City. Well, yeah, you think about the teams that are coming to Iowa City this year. Penn State was down, but they played in Iowa City to kick off the Big Ten schedule. Then you've got Wisconsin this week, Michigan State the week after, and then Ohio State plays uh, the, week it, the weekend before Thanksgiving. 
So, I mean, you got the top teams in, in the conference playing in Iowa City. So certainly, you know, it's be a lot if fun. one way or another, the Big Ten title is going to come through uh, go, the trips to uh, Kinnick Stadium. It sounds like a road trip. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Mr. Wilder, Iowa fan, what do you predict for this game? I predict a slugfest. Uh, I think this is going to be a very, very physical football game. Uh, I think uh, Wisconsin is going to get their yards um, due to Iowa's defensive schemes. But in the end, I think Iowa matches up well against Wisconsin's offense. And I think this, this game could very easily come down to another special teams issue. Iowa has not been as fundamentally sound on special teams, particularly kick coverage, this season as they've been in the past. Of course, neither has Wisconsin. Uh, well, that's a good point. So that could be the, the true X factor in this game. I think both offensive lines are playing extremely well. I think both defenses have been uh, opportunistic and exploited mismatches where they've been able to find them. Um, so I think it'll be a close game, but uh, in the end, I see the Hawks pulling this one out, maybe by, uh, maybe by two scores. I'm not going to say 10 points or 14 points, but I think two scores, whether it's two field goals, two touchdowns, or a combination of and, and just for the record, you Two field goals, wouldn't that be one score? Well, <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, I mean, but just for the record, even though Nathan is a Hawkeye homer, you do have the ability to be objective about your team. If you don't, think yeah, I, I feel like I could. I feel like I could. Um, the team I'm more worried about is really Michigan State. Um, I think Michigan State comes to town at a time uh, that's that's not as convenient for uh, for Iowa, but um, their backfield is just. Incre it's impressive what they've been able to do with the three guys that they have running the football. They all look like pro prospects, in my opinion. Um, their their run game has been very, very good. And their defense has played better than I think I Defense? They got some good linebackers on that team. Good linebackers on the team. Um, their, back, their back four, uh, their secondary has played well as well. Doug, do you have a pick for the Wisconsin-Iowa game this weekend? Uh, I tell you what, I uh, well, I, I think I, I think it's going to be tough for Wisconsin to win this football game. They're on the road, and when in doubt in college football, I'm going to pick the road. Uh, I'm going to pick the home team. Um, if that, if not only for that reason, then also too because I think Wisconsin is going to be coming off of a high of beating Ohio State. Oh, no doubt. And uh, I just think that this is a – I don't want to call this a trap game because Iowa's a really good team. But uh, I just don't see them pulling this one out. I think Iowa definitely watched that football game last Saturday night. They're definitely preparing for that. And I think they're better suited to stop John Clay and to plug up the middle. Yeah, I, I think that um, you definitely – I would expect to see Wisconsin come out flat and to see Iowa put points on the board first. Um, I would agree. Everyone knows that if, if Kirk Ferentz wins a coin toss, he's, he's choosing to receive the ball. I look for him to take that, uh, that opening drive down the field, punch, punch it into the end zone, uh, possibly go up by two scores. Um, if Wisconsin comes out flat, they will lose the game. I think it's as simple as that. What else? Well... I'll tell you my upset alert this week. Upset alert. Uh, Joe's upset alert. We've got Michigan State at 
Northwestern. Okay, explain this one. Well, first of all, Northwestern. Is there a more intimidating locale in college football? <laughs> <laughs> Well, what are you talking about? They're led by uh, they're led by Pat Fitzgerald, according to whom Tim Brewster is one of the best coaches in the country. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no reason, but uh, they they are five and one. But of of course, you know they haven't they haven't beaten a lot of quality, and they haven't you know even won those games all that convincingly. But uh, you know, keep your eyes open. Just watch the scoreboard. I've got a feeling. Well, Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern beat Iowa last year. And Northwestern is just one of those teams. Again, I think I think the Big Ten really has a lot of teams in this conference that can just come out and and for no reason whatsoever can either take a great team to the wall or they can even win the game. I think Northwestern is one of those teams. Yeah, I, I mean, I would be surprised if they won, but you know, I'll pick them for an upset pick. I got an upset pick. <laughs> Go for it. Purdue at Ohio State. <laughs> Your reverse homerism is killing not, me. Okay, not an upset pick. Let me, let me change. I, I don't predict Purdue will win this game. However, it's an alert. Okay. Sound the alarms. Because Purdue is another one of those teams, just like Wisconsin. It doesn't matter how the talent matches up. It doesn't matter what the advantages are, where you play, what year it is. Purdue just always plays Ohio State really, really tough. And I don't expect this to be any kind of exception here. They got a stud defensive end in Ryan Kerrigan, who is, by the way, uh, I don't think Terrell Pryor needs to be reminded of who this guy is. Four sacks last year. He caused two fumbles from Terrell Pryor. Guy's a beast. I think, in my opinion, I'll take him over J.J. Watt and Adrian Claiborne. I'll, I think he's the, the best defensive lineman in, in, in the conference. Yeah, I, I, I just don't buy it. I think uh, Purdue is, um, you know, this this is the time, this is the rebound chick for Ohio State. Purdue is the, is that kind of medicine. I think I think this is going to, uh, the, the Buckeyes get their mojo back on a, on a beleaguered, injured, um, they're two and zero. Entry depleted Purdue squad. Uh, you know they're two and zero. They're perfect in the conference. What are you talking about? Yeah, I, I don't want to go down that road, but <laughs> you know I I really think that Ohio State comes out and puts puts a hurt on Purdue. I don't see there being any change. Well, they're gonna, they're going to need to find a game plan for that Kerrigan, and they're going to need to give Terrell Pryor some protection to pass when he's allowed to pass. I don't know how much he's going to be allowed to throw this week. I will say this: It's kind of nice that there there's a, a large number of quality defensive linemen in the Big Ten this year. It's really nice to to have that kind of a crop of players in the conference. It's a lot of fun to watch. Well, Mr. Wilder says uh, that Ohio State will just pop the Purdue pill and and that'll cure the ailments. History says otherwise, but uh, we will see. I don't. Uh, I I think Ohio State's gonna roll. I guess if you had lost last week and that be I'm sorry, what, were, like, what was your prediction for last week? <laughs> right, well, I was just going to say, I think Ohio State's going to... You and Mr. Hooley getting together? He's, he's going to win. Sharing they, notes? They're going to win big time. In fact, I'm just as confident this week as I was last week. So, oh, what's sure. that tell you? <laughs> uh, two uh, non-Big 
Big Ten uh, games. I want to hear you guys' thoughts on because there are two matchups of the undefeateds this week. Um, and both of them are kind of games where, where uh, you know, contenders versus people nobody expects much from. We've got Auburn versus LSU for one of them. LSU has won some close game, two-point win over Cincinnati. Uh, shouldn't have beaten Tennessee, so people aren't expecting much. But, you know, do they have a chance to knock off Auburn this week? Uh, uh, no, not a chance. Uh, LSU, I can't take seriously. Guess what? You you defeated Tennessee, who... Has, oh, I, has, I'm sorry. Oklahoma. That was Oklahoma that beat Cincinnati, not LSU. I, I mean, well, either way, uh, I'm not impressed with that, anything. I've seen LSU play twice so far this year. That win against Tennessee that you barely pulled out in the last you know couple of minutes. Tennessee's not a good football team. They're ravaged by their yeah. their, their former coach. That was a hard game to watch. It, it was it was unwatchable that football game. Unwatchable. You beat Florida. Yeah, it was in the swamp, but you know what? Florida's not very good this year either. They got issues on offense, and um, so I, I don't really see LSU being able to stay in this football game. I actually think that Auburn. Who's now starting to fire on all cylinders? Their quarterback Cam Newton is uh, really starting to impress some people. That's all I'm hearing about now. Cam Newton, Cam Newton, Cam Newton. I'm not saying Auburn is all that. I don't. I don't think that they're going to be in the national title picture when all is said and done. But I think they're the better football team. I think they'll win this one pretty handily. Well, I I think that uh, I'm I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I'm going to take LSU and. I know that might not be the popular pick, but um, you look at LSU and you look at some of their close wins. I mean, the one the win against Tennessee at the hands of having 13 men on the field of play for Tennessee on, uh, when the last uh, second was on the clock and they got to run another play. You know, sometimes it's things like that that make a team that take a team to a higher level. You got there's always luck in every national championship run. Um, you need the ball to bounce your way a few times in the season, that happens, and suddenly you begin really believing in yourself and playing at a higher level. I, you know, Auburn has not impressed me nearly uh, as much as their, as their record. It looks really great, but that I go back to that game against Clemson, and they just it just seemed like they needed a lot more help in that situation. So I think you've got two teams that are both incredibly lucky to be undefeated at this point. I agree. I agree. So, you know, I... If that's if that's the choice, um, I'm going to go with LSU. All things considered, equal. I think they've got just as much chance, um, and I think their luck continues. Mark it down. I'm taking this one to the bank that there is not going to be an undefeated SEC team by the year by the year's end. I hope I hope that's true. Well, there's only going to be one after this week, so it seems likely. Um. The other, the other uh, matchup of the undefeated is in the Big 12, Oklahoma and Missouri. Uh, does Missouri have a chance to win this? And if they do, is that going to make anybody kind of take notice of them? I think if they win, yeah, it definitely takes, takes notice of them. I mean, it's... In Missouri. Uh, Oklahoma's the number one team in the country right now, too, according to the BCS. Um, so, yeah, that definitely is going to propel them. Um, can they do it? Honestly, I have no idea. I haven't seen either team play. I know that. I know. I know what. Don't Bob's, say that. Just make something up. I. I <laughs> we're amateurs. Come on. Plus, besides, no one is listening to this. Okay. Mom and dad aren't even listening to this. My parents don't like, refuse to use iTunes. I think Luke listened to it. Oh, Luke might. Well, he's shout out. Yeah, hi Luke. Luke uh, Davis, thank you for listening. You're our one true fan. 
Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I'm no, I, I haven't seen either one of these teams. I've seen Oklahoma play, and I think if you've seen one Bob Stoops team play, I think you've seen them all. Uh, that might be unfair to say, but you know we're going to see lots of passing, minimal defense, run the ball when you can. Um, so I, I think maybe until I see otherwise, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. Yeah, I think conference play is a lot different than if these were two teams that were from different conferences playing uh, in the in the pre-conference part of the season. Um, I think the game might be close, but I think uh, I think Oklahoma is the more physical team, um, and I think that they I think they take Missouri to the woodshed this week. Um, the I think the game gets very physical, and I think that uh, it's not nearly as close as the score indicates. I think Oklahoma. I take Oklahoma in this one. Yeah, I'll definitely take Oklahoma also, and uh, I'll take Auburn in the uh, other game we talked about. Didn't mention that before. Two votes for Auburn, one vote for LSU. Yeah. All right, we'll see. All right, we uh, want to wrap up soon here, but don't want to neglect, even though we didn't get uh, any NFL talk in here, to run really quick through our NFL picks this week. Uh, well, why waste our time, man? You can't predict anything in the NFL anymore. You can't predict. There's so much parity right now. I'm so frustrated. If you're a guy in Vegas and you make your living in Vegas by making predictions, which is what Vegas does, you got to be Vegas has got to be hemorrhaging money this year. They've got to be hemorrhaging money in the NFL. I'm going to start picking my fantasy team out of a hat. I'm going to start picking names out because obviously I'm trying to predict is getting me killed. Hakeem Nix leads the NFL in touchdown receptions one week, and then doesn't get me a single point the next. Can't predict anything. Well, we'll run. Uh, first first week we did this, uh, I dominated the picks. Last time, we, we didn't talk about it, but you actually beat me by uh, uh, two or three picks, Doug. Uh, so we'll run through this again. We'll give ours. Nathan, you are uh, welcome to uh, definitely give a pick as well, and we'll see how it all stacks up. Um, and uh, we'll count them up and, uh, you know... You gotta uh, eat crow the next week if you're wrong, I guess. Uh, so it doesn't taste that bad. <laughs> first game we got this week: Cincinnati at Atlanta. Cincinnati coming off a bye week. I'm gonna take Atlanta here. I think Cincinnati is actually pretty bad, and people don't realize quite how bad yet. I'm with you. I'm gonna take Atlanta. I'll follow suit. Not one to disagree. I think I think the Dirty Birds in this one. Next game is Washington at Chicago. Oh, God. Uh, Chicago's a mess. Uh, Mike Martz, that whole, that whole system, trying to fit it in. I mean, it's a perfect example of a coach trying to stuff his talent into a particular mold, and it just doesn't work. It's like fitting a round peg into a square hole. I'm going to take Washington. He takes Washington. Oh, in the wrong place. He takes Washington. I'm going to take Washington, too. I've been disappointed with him. Recently, I, I, I've kind of been cheering for them a lot this year, and they've been on TV a lot here in Columbus on Sunday Night Football a couple times, maybe a 4 o'clock game or so. So I've seen a lot of them, and I don't think they're a real serious contender. But then again, like you said, I mean, so much parity, especially in the NFC. I mean, what is a contender? But, uh, yeah, against Chicago, they're in, they're in trouble right now. Um Jay Cutler is not working out still, and, and yeah, Mike Marks is the main culprit in that. I'll take Washington. I'm gonna go with Chicago on this one. I like I like the Monsters of the Midway at home. <laughs> that defense returns. Our next game is St. Louis at Tampa Bay. St. Louis Ooh. coming uh, with a big surprise win this this uh, 
past week uh, against San Diego. Um, Tampa Bay was kind of the upstart who, who's lost a couple, who, but but their two losses have been big losses to uh, Pittsburgh and. Um, St. Louis, baby, coming off a big win against the Chargers. Taking St. Louis. Uh, I'm going to agree with you again, Doug. Who's the home team? That's uh, Tampa Bay. Ooh. Uh, so. to, me, to me, on paper, it's flip a coin. But again, I can't predict anything. Well, Tampa Bay is a, is a tough place to play, the intimidating... Uh, Steven Jackson's back. He's 100%. He looked good last week. It's the intimidating specter of 30,000 empty seats. In Tampa Bay, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the people in Florida really deserve their all their sports teams that they got. Down there. for St. Louis. St. Louis for Nathan. Three votes for St. Louis across the board. San Francisco at Carolina. Carolina oh. has been uh, really the uh, true kind of uh, whipping boy of they're, uh, the they're NFL the... this year. It, it's hard. You really have to try hard to lose to Carolina this year. Nobody's done it yet. We saw. Um, a few weeks ago, a really valiant effort by Cincinnati to and to play as badly as possible. They still won by 13 points. Um, but San Francisco has done everything to lose the game. I'm going to take San Francisco. Yeah, uh, they're coming off a first win of the season um, against, uh, who was it? I can't remember. Uh, the Raiders. <laughs> they beat the Raiders. Yes. Um, Frank Gore actually <laughs> producing for my, for my fantasy team for the first time this year. Uh, ran for, uh, for over 100 yards, did pretty well. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with San Fran. Wow, another agreement there, Nathan. I'll be the lone voice of opposition here. I like the home <laughs> team. It's got to happen sometime. Carolina yeah. going back to Matt Moore right here. So they're playing the musical quarterbacks. Mm. Going away from Jimmy Clausen. Hey, sometimes that works. Not often, but sometimes <laughs> that works. <laughs> We've got Buffalo at Baltimore, Buffalo being the other uh, winless team in the NFL still. Uh, Baltimore is a team a lot of people like, even though they lost to New England this year, uh, this past week. Of course, it was a close game with a sketchy um, pass interference call on kind of an accidental sort of face mask grab uh, right at the end. Or, I'm sorry, that was against the... I'm getting my games confused. But anyway, they lost to New England in overtime. The face mask was in the Jets game. Uh, I'm going to take Baltimore here, definitely. Yeah, uh, I mean, Buffalo, actually, despite their record, they're actually one of the better bad teams in the NFL. I mean, they do, they do, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is is not doing too bad of a job, albeit it is coming from behind in garbage time, but still, um, you know, but yeah, it's not, it's not going to be anywhere near enough to be able to take on Baltimore in Baltimore, coming off that tough loss. They're going to be fired up, and they're going to absolutely thrash the Bills. Yeah, it's hard for me to pick Buffalo on this one. Uh, Baltimore, Baltimore home. All right, for, for there being so much parity, we still sure have a lot of consensus here so far in these picks. Uh, Philadelphia at Tennessee, also at 1 o'clock this week. Uh, Vince Young goes down last night. Uh, We're and, sticking uh, with Kevin Cobb, by the way, for this pick. There yeah, of course, and we can Kevin always Cobb. trust what Andy Reid tells us. Uh, so... Either way, it doesn't matter what quarterback uh, is going to be playing. I think that uh, the Eagles take care of business. All right, I'm happy to finally disagree with you. I'll definitely go with uh, Tennessee here. I think Chris Johnson will give me a lot of points there in the, in the fantasy realm. I'm counting on it, in fact. And uh, Tennessee's defense has been pretty ferocious. It's, it's amazing what they get with a lot of different players um, in that front. They always get a good pass rush. Uh, that's 
that's you know really good against Philadelphia. He's already having trouble protecting the quarterback. Yeah, I think coming off a big win last night, uh, defense played well. Uh, I think I at home uh, this week, I take Tennessee. All right, Jacksonville at Kansas City. Jacksonville did not even show up last night against Tennessee. Uh, Kansas City started 3-0, has lost two games, but that's almost made people like them more because of, because of, of how they've looked even in those losses. And, and those two losses, I mean, they took the teams to the wall. I mean, the Colts, I actually called for the upset, and I, I texted you. I said, take it to the bank. Kansas City is going to is going to upset the Colts. They almost did. I mean, they really they held they held Peyton Manning to without a touchdown pass that game, and uh, you know I, I I was very disappointed in that game. I thought offensively they didn't do a very good job and make taking advantage of all their weapons. Uh, Dexter McCluster, I guess they like to spend a second round draft pick on a guy that they don't want to use outside of kick returns. So um, <laughs> that's just more still, fantasy bitterness right there. Well, you know we're not going to talk about that, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I'm going to take Kansas City. I love that running game. Jamal Charles, uh, Dwayne Bowe had a huge game uh, last week, and he he killed me on fantasy. Uh, I was going up against him. I'm going to take uh, Jacksonville there. Kansas City is uh, legitimately you know a tough place to play. One of the louder stadiums in the league. Um, but, you know, I know Jacksonville didn't do anything last night, but they do that. They've always done that under Jack Del Rio, up and down weeks. If they have an up week, I think they can definitely compete with the Chiefs. David Garrard hurt, by the way. Yeah, what difference does it make? They're That's all the same down there. That's true. <laughs> Spin the wheel. Spin the quarterback wheel. See who it lands on. Awfully hard for me to, to pick against a team with a, with a tight end, Moyaki. That's a, right. Having, He's looking having, good this year. Having a really great year finally. Has been healthy and able to show people what he's got. Uh, I think he's he, he could possibly be a pro bowler in a couple of years. Uh, Kansas City. I take Kansas City in this one. Plus, how can you choose against the most adorable defensive coordinator in the NFL in <laughs> Romeo Cornell? He's so cute. Certainly couldn't do that. <laughs> All right, Pittsburgh at Miami seems like an easy one. I'll take Pittsburgh. I don't know if that needs a lot of discussion. Seems <laughs> obvious. Pittsburgh. Yeah, same here. <laughs> I mean, actually, it's not that Miami's a bad team. I the the question, the more. question is not who's going to win. The question is how many, how many finable hits will there be in this game? Oh, Whatever okay. it takes, apparently. Whatever so. it takes. Hey, I, I have. Uh, We're going to be pulling guys off the practice squad left and right. To I, Played on Sundays. Uh, I, here come the suspensions. Yeah, oh, yeah, they are coming. Uh, you know, I um, rarely am, am that confident about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, but you guys heard me leading up to last week. Uh, it, that that this Browns game was actually closer than I thought because Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy. But uh, but no, nonetheless, still won by eighteen and. Big Ben's only going to get better as the weeks go by here, so uh, yeah, Pittsburgh all the way there. But speaking of Colt McCoy, he's taking on the New Orleans Saints this week in New Orleans. Another one o'clock game, last early game. Uh, you know what? Uh, maybe a, uh, if if I saw Colt McCoy per- the way he performed last Sunday, and then I, before the Saints uh, game last Sunday, I can't remember again. I can't remember who it was they played, but they won. For the first time, I think this season so far they won pretty handily, like thirty-one to six. 
And so uh, I'm, yeah, I finally looked really good. They finally looked like they were back to the to New Orleans Saints. I mean, of course, as, as against Tampa Bay, uh, it was against Tampa Bay. But you know, again, Tampa Bay it was one of those teams that's kind of taken teams uh, a little bit by surprise. I mean, New Orleans almost had to face an upset against division rival uh, the Carolina Panthers, and we all know the Carolina Panthers are the worst team in the NFL right now. But anyway, I digress. New Orleans starting to look like they're starting to fire, uh, not on all cylinders. I think uh, they're still banged up in a lot of positions, especially in the running game. But still, uh, it's hard not to take New Orleans all the uh, at home. All right, I I like New Orleans in the long term, but I really like the way Cleveland's fighting. They look like a team with some toughness for the first time. Oh no. Since Bill Belichick was the coach. Oh no, you're not. Uh, and it's, they're not you're going not. anywhere. I don't think my, you know, Mangini's probably not going to last through another season, but this week I will take He's the doing round. it. He's doing it. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with Joe on this one. I think What? <laughs> oh, oh, you're both insane. Yeah. Could, could totally be wrong on this one. I'm open to that possibility, but I think uh, I think they're a scrappy team. I think they're never out. And who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, uh, there were some flashes of positivity out of Colton Coy at the end there. Message uh, to Drew Brees, find wherever Sheldon Brown and Eric Wright are and throw that way. Eric Wright got picked on a lot again against the Steelers, but Joe Hayden with the first interception. Yeah, he's throw away from him. He's the best He's a best player on that defense. All right, the late games, Arizona at Seattle. Both teams in a very bad division, both you know, are very inconsistent, but e- even their ceiling when they play well it has not been very high. What do you think? I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Arizona <laughs> at Seattle. Oh, God, flip a coin. Or both, they both stink. They're both irrelevant. I'll t- at Seattle? Yeah. I'll take Seattle. They do have the 12th man. Uh, whatever. They have a lot of crap. Um, yeah. Who's quarterbacking, by the way, for Arizona? I, what did we land on this I, week? Uh, it's it's their uh, Max Hall, I believe. Yeah. So I mean, I think it's undrafted. their long term guy. Yeah. Even though he's undrafted, they like him a lot. Uh, I'm gonna go Seattle also there. Pete Carroll. I'll be the lone voice of opposition, Arizona. Why? I uh, just got a feeling about this one. <laughs> <laughs> Always love the feeling bits. <laughs> in, the, uh, in the in the unforgettable words of Kirk Ferentz. I had a gut feeling. Let's <laughs> a feeling in my gut. Talk about our feelings. <laughs> New England at San Diego. San Diego, a big Ooh. disappointment, but they always start slow. They're starting slower than they, they have in the last few years, but they are in definitely the worst division in football with the Chiefs, the Raiders, and uh, the Broncos. So I think all, all four of those teams lost this past week. Um, so uh, New England uh, beat... Baltimore, they only have, their, you know, them and Pittsburgh and, and the Jets are the teams with one loss. Uh, in this case, I'll definitely take New England. What's the status with Antonio Gates? I, I saw he got hurt. Is he healthy? Is he, is he going to be able to play? What's Can't tell you. Uh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I, this has an upset alert written all over it. The, the, the Patriots are looking to travel cross-country. Uh, they're coming off of an emotional, long, drawn-out win against Baltimore. So I'm a little bit nervous in picking the Pats, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, 
Yeah, I, I'm going to go with New England as well. All right, Oakland. We got three more games here. Oakland at Denver. Uh, so, you know, one team with a really bad coach, one team that's still lacking some talent right now. I'm going to take Denver. Tim Tebow got his first touchdown last week. Oh, thank God. And Jones, and for my Tebow fix, uh, I'll take Denver. Yeah, ditto here. All right, uh, Sunday night game, Minnesota at Green Bay. Uh, so, look, uh, this is the big uh, Brett Favre come back. Of course, attention with Brett Favre has been redirected to other places, but he'll definitely be in there this week. Um, Green Bay, very disappointing. Had the, the fullest bandwagon at the beginning of the season. I was one of them. Their offense hasn't looked the same as it did last year. Um, so I am uh, going to take Minnesota here. I'm with you. I'm not, I'm actually selling my Green Bay stock. I'm, I'm not a believer. Jermichael Finley, he's out for the season. Aaron Rodgers not performing that that well as everyone thought he would. Offensive line still can't protect him. No running game or inconsistent at best. Banged up on defense. Uh, even though this is a home game for them, yeah. know, I, everything just seems to be clicking now for the Vikings. Now that they got Randy Moss, it's the final piece of that offensive puzzle. It opens things up for uh, Percy Harvin, and uh, of course you always have you know, uh, what's his name, Peterson, running the football really. Oh yeah, so, that guy. That guy. <laughs> forgot his name. It's <laughs> funny that you say you're selling your Green Bay stock because Green Bay is actually a publicly owned company that. People have stock in. Well, there you go. Nathan. Yeah, I, I, I just don't know that... Uh, it's been a long time, in my opinion, since, um, since Brett Favre has been this distracted in a public way. I, I don't see him uh, playing well through it. I just think there's too much going on, I, and I like Green Bay in this one. I think Aaron Rodgers... Um, and that offense gets going again. Monday night, it's the Giants at Dallas. Uh, the Giants have been impressive on defense the past few weeks. In fact, they've, they've pretty much looked good all the time, except against um, uh, the Colts for that Sunday night game, where oh. the, the Manning Bowl, where they look terrible. But uh, they've looked good otherwise. Dallas is now 1-4. and four. And, you know, no one would dispute that they have as much talent as anybody on offense, and they've got some playmakers on defense. Nevertheless, they're 1-4. Well, the slide continues yeah. into oblivion. Well, well, um, I, I think, I think uh, New York big. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I think it's pretty undeniable. you got huge problems at head coach there. I mean, he's uh, Wade Phillips is just a big marshmallow with headphones. Uh, and... You know, Giants are just firing on all cylinders right now. They finally are starting to hit their stride. They got lots of weapons on offense. Defense is just really bullying people up front. Yeah, I'm going to say Giants. I agree with Nathan. It's going to be big. The big thing with the Giants is, is OCU Maniora. Last year, he was getting benched. He, he actually came in, you know, despite being a star in the past at defensive end, he actually came into this year as the backup on the depth chart. Now he has eight sacks. In uh, five or six games, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, eight sacks in six games so far. He's having a really good year again. Nevertheless, I will take Dallas in this game. 
and be the contrarian. So a lot of agreement. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Oh, and the, the last game, Detroit versus the bye week. Who you got? <laughs> He's off Detroit. You know, Detroit, they're, they're doing some good things. Detroit, I mean, they, they're, I, I like them on offense. You know, an unfortunate thing is that Sean, Sean Hill is, uh, I think he got injured. And I don't, I don't think he's going to be available to play, so that's, I might have to force Matthew Stafford back in sooner than he would like uh, for next week. But, uh, you know, Calvin Johnson, he's really impressive. I like their tight end, uh, Pettigrew. And, you know, you always have the option of best there and seeing what he can do on the ground and as a receiver. You get him open in space. The guy's deadly. So, you know, they're, they're slowly but surely plugging along, and they're putting points on the board. That's for sure. That you can't yeah, right, right. on that. So I mean, defensively, there's still uh, there's still a lot of holes to fill, especially in the in the back end. But uh, you know. All right. Well, there's our uh, NFL picks for the week. Uh, we want to close up shop here, Doug. Do you have any uh, closing nuggets for us? Yeah. Um, I, I I I enjoyed our discussion about the Ohio State Jim Trestle and everything. Good points. I still stand firm in my position in that. If you know, if you win a national championship, you got to start looking elsewhere. I don't know who it is, honestly. I don't know where to begin. I don't know the college football landscape that well to throw out any names. But you know, I'm convinced more than ever that Jim Trestle this is not the guy to get that job done. Well, I, you know, and I will stand very firmly on my contention that that is incredibly arrogant and. <laughs> Borders on stupidity. Um, since 2002, Ohio State has played for the national title three times. If you break that down in a percentage, I don't know that any other coach out there is going to give you uh, that kind of value. And it's easy to forget that when you, in the emotion of, uh, uh, and what do I want to say, being upset, being knocked off your perch. Um, but I think you have to maintain that perspective you have a puncher's chance with jim trestle why would you trade that away for something that an unknown commodity all right and uh, i'm gonna close by uh making it clear once again northwestern over michigan <laughs> state this weekend uh in in chicago or wherever they are here's some running attack that the wildcats posted well dan purcell leading the league with like 80% completion. Exactly. It's, it's just, Crazy, you, you're not going to stop the offense when your quarterback is completing 80% of his passes. That's just un, uh, unreal. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully we'll uh, do another one next week. Who knows what special guests might show up. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Uh, subscribe on iTunes.